All right, everyone, I want to welcome you to the AdCast today. I have a good friend, a mentor, I'm going to say that, on the line with us today, Mr. Arnie Malham today. There he goes. There he goes. <laughs> and this this gentleman, very, very special gentleman. I mean, he's got such a long and impressive resume and also a successful pass in running some advertising agencies um, before. Uh, he is also uh, the founder of the Better Book Club. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's a dad. He's an awesome culture creator and an entrepreneur. How about that? Give it up for Mr. Oh. Arnie Malham, everybody. Give, Give it, it up. up. Give it up. <laughs> Give it up for Arnie. There it is. Awesome. Eric, the key, the key is, is for many, and especially for me, is I'm willing to do it wrong enough to finally get it right. And, and for some of those things, it's a 10 years of wrong. Sometimes I, I can figure it out in, in, in a few days, but you know, it's all a path to, to doing something great is always uh, through wrong. And, and that's, that's part of my preaching. Man, awesome. And I want to dive into that book too, because every time I see Arnie, he's got that shirt on wrong. Right. Let's show that book. Arnie's the author of Worth Doing Wrong. And uh, when Arnie and I first started our relationship, we talked about some mutual clients that we that we had. And, you know, and I came to him for some pointers in the industry. And and you have experience in, in what I do now and what I'm trying to do, because you are a trailblazer and and what I'm currently doing. But, you know, Arnie, for those people that don't know who you are or or they're not familiar with it with you, tell them uh, who's Arnie Malham. So uh, Arnie, uh, 20 plus years ago, got fired and I was unemployable and I had to start my own business and it happened to be an ad agency. Uh, and that sounds, that sounds very glamorous, but as, as you know, Eric, in the early days of ad agency, it's not very glamorous, right? It's, oh no. It's, it, it, it's, it's, you do everything from, 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 you know, clean the dishes to mop the floor, to pitch the ads, to build the spots, to, to do, you do everything and you, st- you slowly start to build a team. Uh, and people are sort of excited around ad agencies, right? Because they're mm-hmm. cool. Our specialty was, was helping brand injury lawyers across the country. Mm. And it's, and as much as I will stand up and fight for injury lawyers who do right by people who need them most, uh, it is a, it is hard to recruit into an ad agency that specializes in injury lawyers. And so we had to create a culture that was so remarkable that people would remark about it and, and talk more about our culture than, than maybe the clients we served. And as they became part of our team, they warmed up to the work we did and the good we did for the community and the good we did in our, in our industry. And that became a culture known as camel culture inside CJ advertising. And, and sort of, we built it from there. We did it wrong a lot on our way to getting it right. And before we were done, we were about, uh, you know, 75 people strong. We had 50 legal brands across the country that we were representing. We were building their brand. We were building familiarity. We were building likability. And every day, this group of 75 people came to work with one thing in mind. How do we build legal brands across the country? And how much fun am I going to have at work today? And well, that, that was the culture we built and we, sh- and we chaperoned towards success. Uh, I was fortunate enough. I was able to exit that company. Um, and back at the end of 17, beginning of 18, the company is still going strong. I'm a huge cheerleader for them and the clients, people that they serve. Uh, but that's my journey. And that's where, that's where I, that's what I wrote in the book about is building the culture that built CJ advertising that built many, many of the legal brands across the country. One of the things that you said in the book, and we talked about this before was uh, it was hard to get people to want to work at an advertising agency agency that served lawyers or personal injury lawyers. Right. But you kind of turned that there's a, there's a few things in the book that you turned from a negative into the positive. But in this case, you took that and said, I'm going to make these people, I'm going to make my culture so great that these people are going to be proud to have us on their resume, right? So tell me about that. Literally, as you mentioned, had very, very talented people look at us in the eye and say, dude, I don't want you on my resume. And, and, and we went, Oh, that, that hurts. Yeah. Like that hurts, but it set us on a course. And exactly as you mentioned, our course was, we're going to be such a great place to work that we're going to look good on your resume. That if you've worked here, you can work anywhere in town because they know that you that that you came from a culture that values growth, values people, 
and and values uh, innovation. So now, how how was that, Arnie? Did the lights just click on one day, and and you just said, "I want to I want to start this this great culture," and and you started yeah. all these things from the Better Book Club because this didn't start like after you left CJ Advertising or you departed from CJ Advertising. This was going on while you were at CJ Advertising. Pretty much, your wife said to you, "Get these books out of here." <laughs> and, yeah, well, and, the, the, you know, the, the, I love to tell you that I was some sort of visionary and that I figured it out. Like, right. It was out of desperation. Why did I start a company? I got fired. <laughs> why did we create a culture? Because we had to. Right. You know, I, why did we grow our people? Because because we, because we had to grow. One of my earliest clients, Bob Crummy out of North Carolina. We had just signed him on as a client. He looked me square in the eye. He says, Arnie, I'm going to tell you, we're about to grow this firm to be the biggest in the state, which he did, by the way. And if you don't grow with us, I'm telling you now, we have to fire you. I'm like, Bob, we just, you just hired us. Why are you talking about firing me? He said, wow. look, grow with me and we're good. But if you don't grow, we will move on. And it, man, it was like, oh my gosh, we got to grow. When I say we, I don't mean me. I mean, we have to grow, not just in terms of the number of people, but everyone in the organization, excuse me, everyone in the organization has to become better in the organization for us to grow. My favorite line, if you can't grow your team, you can't grow your company. And and so we focused so many of our programs about, about making people, helping people grow, making them better human beings, not just in the workplace, better parents, better spouses. Less anxiety, healthier, more uh, a, a more um, uh, healthy lifestyle, just just better humans. And now we can do all the other stuff to make you better at work because happy when 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 someone comes to work and they're in a good spot, they're more likely to be successful. Now that's that's huge for a client to say you've got to grow with me or or get off the boat, right? Yeah, yeah. So because, it, that, because, that's that's some pressure. Right there. That's a lot of pressure, man. It, it is, and because it's you, it, the, right? We all—it's easy to be in a comfort zone. It's hard to always know you got to stretch, right? But but what you what we all want is we want to have comfort in stretching. Like we we want to find comfort. Mm. We want it to be uncomfortable, not to grow, not to not to keep learning, not to keep expanding. And that's the if, if nothing else, a culture of go, growth teaches a team that that growth is the comfortable mode, mm. and that everything else feels odd. That I've I've never heard a client say, "We're going to grow this firm. We're going to grow this company. You better make sure you're doing your end of the bargain by growing yeah. along with me." So when you started working on the culture, now this isn't an overnight thing. Now, Arnie, where do you start? Where do you start to say, "I want to have a good culture"? Well, step step one is realizing that you don't have a good culture. By the way, every company has a culture. Every one of them. And I'd go as far as to say that every co- company, just like ours, has the c- culture you deserve. And the question is, what is that culture? What does that mean? I, Golly. Well, <laughs> so so, I, for 10 years, I've started, I started working on building this agency. And we got some things right. And we got a lot of things wrong. But I realized after 10 years, it wasn't the agency that I wanted. I didn't enjoy coming to work. My people didn't enjoy coming to work. We had we had stressed ourselves to the point to where it was not a good culture, but it was the culture we deserved. And so I had to look myself in the eye. And I, I by the way, I was complaining about it. I was I was I was talking about I was mad at my clients. I was I was mad at my team. I was mad at my vendors. I got mad at the industry. I wanted to blame all these things for the culture that I didn't have. And I was I was listening to a speaker one day. We actually hired him to come speak to our clients about customer service. One of the best people on the planet, John DeJulius, was speaking to my entire client base. And he he delved away from he, as he was talking about customer service. He talked about sort of the team and the attitude of the team. And he reminded everybody in that moment that culture reflects leadership. Mm-hmm. And it hit me like a lead brick, if there is such a thing, that I was leadership and the culture I had was because of my lack of leadership, right? I had the culture I deserved, which was not one I liked. And that to change the culture, it had to start with me. I had to look in the mirror and decide where I wanted to work, right? What, What kind of culture did I want to work in and how then start figuring out how to get there. So step one, 
if you're the leader, you have the culture you deserve. And it, the only person that can change it, it's not your clients, it's not your team, it's not the industry, it's not your HR department, it's you. That's the deal, man. <laughs> so, and so once you wow. realize it's you, then you can decide what to do about it. And here's what you can't do. And you said this just a few minutes ago, you can't change it all at once. You can change it one program at a time. What we learned is that, that, that one program per quarter, that if we put a program in place per quarter, if we gave it a champion, if we gave it that champion a checklist, and if we gave that champion permission to get it wrong on their way to getting it right, then we had a really good chance of that program. When you say, I'll get to what program means in a minute. We have a really good chance for that program to be successful. And even if we do everything right, one out of four are going to fail. But year after year, quarter after quarter, if we put things to work in our business that are sustainable, have a champion and a checklist, then we can build a culture that grows our people, that grows our clients, and where everyone wants to work as opposed to everyone dreading having to work. So, so how does that work? Do you, how does the buy-in work? From your team, because you can have this change of heart overnight and say, I want to have a great culture. I'm going to start working on these things, but you're still going to have those people where it's like you're changing the culture, but they're not ready for it. So how does that work, Arnie? Well, first, you walk the walk, right? You can't say it and not do it. Like we, there's plenty of leaders we all know that say what you should do, but then they, you know, where you park your car, how you treat your people. Uh, what you celebrate, what you recognize and reward, these are all the things that you have to change about yourself. What you recognize and reward, people are going to repeat, and that works on both ends, good and bad, right? And so the, it's just like with the last book you read, read becomes the book you want to tell everybody about. But guess what, man? Mm. Your last book is not their next book. Everyone grows at a different path, and so start if the when the once the leader figures out how they the, the culture they want and the environment they want and the values they want to promote, if you walk the walk, if you put the programs in place, if you don't if you if you um, delegate those programs to people in the in the organization as opposed to trying to do everything yourself or trying to or try to delegate it all to HR, then. Then person by person, program by program, good things happen. Give give Arnie a round of applause, real for me, real quick. Give him a round of applause. <laughs> now, you you said not trying to do everything yourself. Inside your book, I remember this line. You said, "Don't say, oh, I got it, I got it," because it's almost like you're stepping on your people, or or you're you're diminishing them when you say, "I got it, never mind." You're you're you're. Top down is, is, is always going to be going to get pushed back, right? That's number one. Number two, you're taking away an opportunity for someone in your organization to do the work, to, to show you what they can do. You're taking that away from them by holding on to it. And, and number three, you have other priorities that you need to be working on for the good of the entire organization. That is true. I tell leaders all the time, the number one way I know a, a, a culture program is going to fail is when the leader says, I'm on that. Because they're not. I know the intentions there, right? If, if I, you know, I'm so guilty of it. Yeah, we, guilty. Look, we judge. We judge most people by their actions, right? We, we 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 by what they do, but we judge ourselves by our intentions, and that's where we go wrong, right? We have intentions to do a lot of stuff, but it's our actions that everyone's judging us on. The, the actions that everybody are, are are taking note of, and so we just have to make our sure that we have. We don't, we don't pack ourselves so full of things that nothing gets done. And the key to that is to delegate it to someone. Again, every program, whether it's culture, whether it's operational, whether it's uh, 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 you know, hu- the human spirit in your organization, every program needs a champion. Every champion needs a checklist so they can continually improve the product, the, the, the program. Mm-hmm. And they also need this, this next thing, just kind of like intentions and actions. They need permission to get it wrong. The, the, when, we, when we delegate things and, and then try to micromanage them right, then the person, nothing happens. They don't grow. But when we allow them to get it wrong on their way to getting it right, ownership happens, uh, uh, success happens. They're able to train other people on how to do it. Mm-hmm. A lot of good things have a champion checklist and permission to get it wrong are the key to any any sustainable program. 
There's a question you pose. I, I can't remember if this was chapter two or like seven. It says, is your culture by default or by design? You remember that? Yeah. It's, yeah and, and by the way, everything in my book and probably everything I'm saying on this, on this uh, ad cast, it's all R&D ripped off and duplicated from someone else. And so if I don't give people like John DeJulius and, and Cameron Harold credit and uh, Andy Bailey and uh, 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 she, Jim, Jim Collins, from, <laughs> Vern Harnish, yeah. uh, it goes on and on, right? That Joe Calloway, I've ripped off and duplicated everything. And, and I have, I give full permission now and in my book to rip off and duplicate we were doing. Make it your own. But but get it going using using the experiences of others and what they've accomplished. Is it you have uh, you created this culture like the camel culture is what they uh, it was called there. But you had people who would get letter jackets, right? Yeah. Um, so, even even now, if you look at the website now, there are still some people, some people there 15 years or so. They were there when you were there from the ground up, but they're still there. I mean, so that's all stuff that you've kind of laid the people. groundwork for. Great people, great programs. The key when we we were a specialty shop, right? We built legal brands. And so the key was we had to have people that knew more about it than our clients. And the key to that is tenure. We needed tenure of our people to, so they could keep growing, keep learning, keep, keep managing their checklist, keep improving. So we, but we knew tenure was important. So we recognized tenure at five years, which is by the way, 10,000 hours as we, we, as we've all read about uh, uh, in, in um, Malcolm Gladwell's book outliers, right? We got to have 10,000 hours to be great at something. Well, guess what? That happens at about five years with a business. Once you've been with someone five years, when someone gives you five years of their life, they put in about 10,000 hours. We recognize that, yeah. right? We recognize with a letterman's jacket. We, we put sometimes, used to be ugly, the team has improved it, a letterman's jacket on people, just like we used to get in high school that says, you are a leader now in this organization. People are looking to you to know what's right. You know, keep leading and rocking us forward. At 10 years, we gave everybody that reached the 10 year mark, a Rolex watch. And that was back when Rolexes were kind of cool. Now no one wears a watch, right? Or you do, I know you do. Right. <laughs> uh, and so some people say, Hey, I don't want a watch. Right. Say, okay. Wh- what is it? And they would say, um, they would say some electronic equipment. We're like, no, we're not doing that. What's something that will always be with you. We, we got one, uh, one great person, a baby grand piano. Uh, we got someone else, a, a, painting for their house that they would, you know, that they cherished. We got someone else, antique jewelry, something that they really, really would keep forever. And at 15 years, we sent them on a trip, right. That they could enjoy with their family. And so I'm not bragging about this stuff because the prizes were good. I'm bragging about this stuff because we had programs to recognize tenure. Why? Because tenure was important to us. So can people take advantage of having a good culture though, Arnie? Uh, well, if the if, so, there's a difference in a culture that's built for fun, like ping pong tables and foosballs and 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 beer drinking, and which we did, by the way. But still, that like there's 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 cultures for that that are that are built to have fun. We want a culture where work is fun. Like we want things that make work better and more enjoyable and more braggable and more remarkable, worth remarking about. We're not just having fun at work. We're making work fun. And so we want to design cultural programs that allow people to make work fun. And we did that through our recognition programs. Like, how do you know if your team appreciates you? How about a, a, a thank you card, an appreciation card program that everyone in the organization takes advantage of? How do we know if our team is growing? How about Better Book Club, which is a way not to get someone to read a book, but to help people become readers within your organization. Right. And we, we all know is the more we read, the more we grow and learn. And, we, and, and if we could pick one thing good for our people, it's them reading books. And so what we do, people like you and I read a book. We love it. We go tell people to read it and they don't want to read your last book. They want to read their next book. And so instead of, instead of pushing them to read a book, Let's have a program like Better Book Club that makes them readers, which ultimately grows your business. And so I I can go on and on about the programs that we had and are still at CJ. Mm -hmm. They weren't there to make work fun. Or excuse me, they weren't there so people could have fun at work. They were there to make work fun, more enjoyable, 
we, we had a call center as well. We had another 120 people that worked at our call center and, and call centers can, you know, it can, it can be, not be a good place to work. We wanted people coming to the call center. They couldn't wait to get there, right? That they, they drove up, not with their hands on the steering wheel going, Oh, I don't want to come to work that day. <laughs> they drove up and said, I can't wait to go to a place where the people around me are supportive. The break room is pristine. The bathrooms are better than mine. The, the, I'm recognized for the skills I have and appreciated. Like that's a, most people don't have that at home, Eric, right? Yeah. We, but we strived to give them those things at work. So they look forward to it. So they brought that, that smile with them so that they reacted with our customers. You know, someone smarter than me said, you can't expect your clients. You can't expect your team to treat your clients any better than you treat them. Right. That's true. And so we were, we were, Ritz Carlton to the best of our ability to our team so that they could be Ritz Carlton and the best of their ability to our clients. So now in building a good culture, Arnie, let's just say, I mean, you said you had, you guys had over 75 people there, but what about the the guy who's got four people in this building? Can he have a good culture? Well, he's going to have the culture he he creates, right? It's, a, you know, culture gets harder as you grow, right? If you, when you're small, you, we talk every day, we eat lunch together, we have coffee, we we know a lot about everyone in the office. It's, it's hard not to care about family. It's hard not to care and do the right thing for a small group. When you get big, it, right, you have to replace serendipity with programs, mm-hmm. repetitive programs that are sustainable, more importantly than almost anything else. And so a small firm has a culture, right? A big firm has a culture. And, and ultimately, it is hard to find an example of a company whose culture does not reflect their leader. And, and so the, sometimes I'll see the leader say, well, that's HR's job. No. Someone will say, oh, I've hired a director of people happiness. That's their <laughs> job. No. It's your company. It's, it's your values. It's your vision. The culture is yours. On that note, I want us to go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about core values because you can't have a good culture without core values, right? Thanks for letting me be all over the place. I'm no, I, I am. I'm with you, man. I think the listeners, they better be ready because we're going to tear this thing up later on. All right. Roll. All right. This is the AdCast. You don't need a marketing agency. You do deserve very important placement. VIP Marketing and Advertising is a cutting-edge strategic digital, creative, media, and marketing partner that provides services for businesses of all sizes. To stay up to date on the latest marketing news, subscribe for email updates at veryimportantplacement.com. You're listening to The AdCast, the podcast for marketers and advertisers with your host, Eric Elliott. Arnie, we are back with Arnie Malham. He is uh, the world-famous Arnie Malham. Let's say that. He is uh, an entrepreneur at heart. He's uh, most importantly, first and foremost, your dad, your husband, you're an entrepreneur, you're an author, and he's a culture creator is what he is. Um, Arnie, what was your favorite part about the, about writing your book? You know, they, we had um, worked so hard to create a culture where people, you know, th- we, we, we built tenure through our culture. We, we, built, we built careers through our culture. And most importantly, we built a culture that served our business, which helped us serve our clients, which helped them serve their clients. Like it, we had... Our people coming to work every day affected thousands of people across the U.S., right? So it's the impact that, that a culture can have on so many. That, that, that's what I'm most proud of. But where I had, what I had the most fun doing was showing other people what we did. And one of the things I like to say is if you can't give a tour of your culture, you may not have a culture. Wow. So we gave tours. We had, we're in, we're in Nashville, Tennessee, a tourist destination, just like, just like where you are in, in Charleston and people would come to Nashville. They had heard about this specialty shop and they wanted to see more. And we literally, we were downtown. So people would come in off the street and we would take them on a tour of our office while showing off all of our cultural programs. And so we called it the 10 stations of the camel, a uh, little <laughs> trying to have fun with a little bit. And, the, and, the, and anyone could, could come out of the street. We'd grab someone off the floor and they take them on a tour and they tell them about Better Book Club and they tell them about a recognition program and they tell them about uh, uh, our um, a dog friendly policy and how we welcome kids to the office place and what that meant. And we tell them about 
the um, our community, our, our our bottom up communication, where we pulled information from our team to make sure we were we were uh, creating a work environment that worked for them and our clients. So all these things, they would our our war hall, like and all the wow. our transparency of information. So we wanted anyone in the organization to be able to give that tour because that helped us all learn and appreciate the culture even more. And so I think your question was what I enjoy most. We enjoyed figuring it out and then we enjoyed showing it off. And I guess at heart, I'm just kind of an egotistical, you know, you know what? So, so somebody's going to ask, you know, yeah, all this culture stuff sounds great, but does it have an impact on my sales? Well, it had an impact on us. All I can tell you is that again, you, you know, we, how you treat your team is how they're going to treat your clients. Uh, how, how motivated they are to come to work every day is important. How innovative they can be, how, how free their mind can be to think. And so we operated uh, as, 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 from a uh, reverse paranoia. Reverse paranoia, you know, people are paranoid, think everyone's trying to hurt them. We assumed everybody's trying to help us. And that certainly included our team. And so we wanted to empower them to, do, to make the biggest difference they could for themselves, for the department, for the agency, ultimately our clients. People come to work motivated, inspirational, with a smile on their face. Good things happen. Well, Arnie, what do you say to people that don't have any values in their company? Well, everyone has values, right? This might be the kind you want to brag about, right? And, and so as the leader decides uh, if they're going to be a boss or a leader, like those are two completely different things. And we have all seen images and can recognize, like, like it's like pornography. We just, we know when we see it. Like yeah. we know when someone's being a boss, top down, oh, yeah. uh, micromanaging, uh, my way of the highway, managing through fear. Like fear was a huge way to manage, uh, you know, almost textbook many, many years ago. We take a different approach, right? It's transparent. We manage from a concept of abundance. Uh, we know that the team is smarter, you know, the group is smarter than the one uh, in almost every situation. And so how do you get the most out of your people? Instead of being a boss, be a leader. Yeah. Just, just get the most out of your people, which is what you want anyway. Like it's not, it's not rocket science. Like it, no one wants everyone to come to work and just do what they're told. At least I didn't. Th that's true. We, we want people to come to work and, and, and exceed in their job, right? To be to be proud of their ideas, to be willing to be wrong on their way to getting it right, to always recognize we you know recognize their teammate. We had a thing about we define trust as do you do you believe the people around you are there to make you better? Mm. Like that's the goal every day is that you come into work and you believe everyone around you is there to make you better, and therefore you are there to make others better. That's an environment where we can thrive. Another thing, I want to kind of quote the book and what you said inside the book. You said uh, the core values of the company should be the leader's core values because he's the one thing that's going to be consistent. and He will never change. He or she. Yeah, no, I, yeah I, you know, as, as I know that, that, oh, we have tenured. We had tenured people, too. But ultimately, in a small company uh, and small can be defined, you know, anything 500 or less, you know, probably even even bigger. The founder is a pretty stable part of the organization. And, and here's, here's how we got there, because it wasn't easy. We started CJ. We started another company called Legal Intake Professionals. And then the combination of those two companies actually had us create a third company called Malham Leverage Group, where we did all the HR, the, the IT, the physical building work, and the, and the financial around the other two companies. So I had three different companies, about 225 people. And with each company, we followed the textbook to find your core values. We, we grabbed, gathered some people. We talked about our best team members. We talked about the things that made them the best team members. We pulled words out and we created each company's core values, which meant that with three companies, I had 12 core values in my head as the leader. Plus, I had my wow. own personal core values. So I had 16 core values running around in my head as I was trying to be a leader to these 225 people. Eric, it wasn't working, right? It was, it was driving everybody <laughs> crazy. And at the end of the day, rather than pick the, the, the baby I like the best, I realized I like me the best. These are my values. This is the, I'm not telling you, Eric, to have these values. I'm telling you, these are the values I want you to use when you're making decisions in this company. Once we consolidated everybody down to the values that I not only had good intentions around, 
but I had actions around and we could build programs around, that's when the value started to make a difference. Otherwise, they were just words on a wall and I couldn't even remember them. Wow. So now I want to go to another line, respect. Respect. I'm talking R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Hopefully I spelled that right, right, Chris? Yeah. Aretha Franklin will always spell check you. She will always spell check you, but I want to go into respect because that's, that's part of your book about having some respect for your people as well. And, and I, again, I'm going to advise anyone who has not read the book to read the book because there's a lot of nuggets in there. And like I told you, I, I had to, I'm an audio book kind of person. So I, I got to hear you saying it. And sometimes I, it's almost like I could see you saying it. But tell me where, why in that, in that line in the book did you go into respect? Well, for, for, for me, and I tell a story in the book behind every value of why it's important to me. And, and like most things in our life, so much is tied back to our childhood, right? And right. so there, I, won't, I won't repeat each story today, but in the book, there is a personal story of why that core value means a lot to me and how we want to apply it at work. That becomes memorable. That's a, when, once you've heard the four stories in the book around my four core values, they are much harder to forget than when I tell you that we polled everybody and came up with these values that represent right our business. And so that, now you can't just have the stories. It's stories plus programs that help pull those stories through your company and then stories in your company about those values. All the way back to your question, why respect is that I've seen uh, my dad used to take me on trips when I was little. I learned to read by reading road signs. I used to learn what the capitals of all the states. I mean, just, just a, you know, 1970, early 1970s. I'm an old fella story about being raised in rural Arkansas. And, and what, what I learned early is that we treated the dock worker, the same as the office manager, as same as the president of the company. Every, every, we were picking up supplies for my dad's hardware store. And at every stop, we, we, we treated everyone along the way throughout the company with respect. And that's just who I became. Like we don't, we don't, we don't look down on people because of their position. In fact, we look up to them because of their position, you know, the further down, the more we actually look up to them in terms of respecting them. It's important that we respect each other. It's important that we respect people's views. It's important that we respect diversity. Mm-hmm. It's important that, that all these things, but it all stemmed from my childhood experience and, and that story helped me set it up for everyone in the company to understand the value of that, that the value of that core value to me. I think it's uh, you, earlier, right before we started, we hit the record button. You talked about experience and then you said there's advice, but there's a lot of things that you've experienced that have kind of turned you into the Arnie Melham that you are right now. And you address inside your book, you address some of the negatives that actually you turned into positives. Let's talk about that. Well, I mean, I, it, that's that's how you define growth, right? Is that is that something happens and you didn't like the outcome and you start thinking about what can I change to get a better outcome? And so, so many things in all of our lives give us that opportunity. They they serve it up to us and they say, here's the here's today's problem. Right. What do you want to change to make it tomorrow's opportunity? And and that's that's a whole lot of that's that's fluff talk for. Um, you know, kind of, the, I heard this, this the other day, if you could do today if to, in the morning, if you could do yesterday different, what would you do different? Right. You start thinking about what, what, how do I improve daily? Just think about yesterday. What would I do different? How am I going to implement going forward? And so every problem, which seems like such the worst thing that could probably have possibly happened to you ultimately becomes so many people's success story mm. that, you know, that pattern repeats itself. And so we're constantly looking, we, you know, back at the call center, one of the cool things we did is that, uh, we listened to the longest call each day and said, what went wrong? Right. Was it, was it training from the specialist? Was it a technical issue? Did, did, did the uh, caller have the wrong reason for calling? Did, did we not have the right scripts in place? But by listening to the worst call every day, we could make an improvement that made tomorrow better. And so it's, it goes that way with everything we do, the programs we put in place. That's why, that's why a checklist is so important. What went wrong? What can we change tomorrow to make it better? What went wrong? What can we change tomorrow and make it better? You're not changing the world in a day, but you can do a lot of damage in a year. That's true. Now there is a, there's, when I think of culture, I think of 
two companies, right? I think of two companies. Uh, one, Zappos, right? I have a, a good friend that worked at Zappos and actually toured Zappos last year around this time. And I also think about your company when I keep hearing you talk about culture and a lot of the things that you've done and how people are just bought in to what they were doing. I told you, uh, you know, I looked at you guys from afar and just said, what are these guys doing? You know, what are they doing over there, man? It's just like everyone's too, they're so happy to be there. Um, but you have to congratulate yourself, you and the rest of your team, uh, and everyone that you work with to kind of get to where you are. You guys should congratulate yourselves. Dude, I appreciate that. But here's a classic example of, of rip off and duplicate. Mm-hmm. God, God rest his soul. Tony Shea built yeah. an incredible organization. And, and I toured Zappos about t- maybe 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've looked at the exact year and heard him speak in Las Vegas. I'm sure I took notes. I'm sure I took things away. But I didn't realize how much I took away until like literally a month ago, I watched a video he did 10 years ago. It was, you know, when we learned of his passing, uh, people, you know, a lot of videos came up and I happened to see one and I watched a 30 minute presentation of his. And it was, it was only in that moment that I realized how many ideas I stole from Tony Shea and Zappos. And so people want to say all the time it worked for them. It won't work for me. Ideas will work for you if you implement them. If you if you actually go to the trouble of implementing, having a checklist, have a champion, have a commitment to doing it right, they work. This is a great example. I ripped off and duplicated from from the legendary, God rest his soul, Tony Shea at Zappos. And many of the things that we did were just rip off and duplicates from what he did. R N D. I actually saw uh, Cameron Harold actually use that on Facebook the other day too. <laughs> I don't, I, maybe that's where I heard it first. I got to give him full credit. I ripped off and duplicated his joke. Rip off and duplicate. Oh man, uh, he, he's a good one too. He's got a great book as well too. Now I want yeah. I want to switch gears if I can. I want to take a break. I want us to come back and then I want us to wrap things up and I want to talk about the Better Book Club. Is that okay? Good, man. All right. So we're going to take our final break and we'll come back. This is the AdCast. Today's show is sponsored in part by Craft Creative. Change your creative. Change your world with premium video production and graphic design. Get started by visiting WeCraftCreative.com. All right, I'm back in the ad cast with my guest, Mr. Arnie Malham. Um, I'm telling you, man, he's, isn't he something? It's almost like you want to bring him in and just say, fix my culture, Arnie. You, you know, like they have that show. This lady has a show, thing, fix my life. Is, let's look in the mirror, brother. Let's right. Look in the mirror. So it's like this lady has this show, fix my life. So it's like bring Arnie and fix my culture, right? Yeah. Everyone's going to start doing that. That might be cool to come. We'll do a little show. Well, you heard it. You heard it here first then. You heard it here first. ArnieFixMyCulture.com. You you need to go get that domain today, Arnie. If you don't do it, I'm going to do it. (laughs) ArnieFixMyCulture.com. Awesome. So I want to dive into something that you actually uh, kind of introduced to me. Um, The Better Book Club. Uh, it, it all started in your advertising agency days and you've carried it over and you've now you're putting the full court press on it right now. Uh, I look on and I see some people, they've read so many books and I'm like, how do they have time to do it? I mean, some people just go absolute crazy when it comes to reading some books and little old me over here, like a little turtle. I mean, I did like what over 40 books last year and I'm thinking I'm doing something, but uh, tell us about the Better Book Club, and now that it's online, you kind of have some support there. Tell me, let's talk about that. Well, Better Book Club, as you mentioned, we, you know, I did what most bosses do. I read a book. I think, oh my God, this is a great book. I need everyone to read it. So I go buy twenty copies, and I pass them out, and I tell everybody we're going to talk about it in three weeks. Nobody wants to read the book that I just passed <laughs> out. Right? They come to the meeting. A third of them, maybe if you're lucky, read the book because they. They just do everything you say. A third of them absolutely didn't because they don't do anything you say. Oh. And then a third skim it and act like they read it. Everyone in the room is mad at each other because the readers are mad at the non-readers. The non-readers are mad at the readers and everybody hates the cheaters. So all <laughs> I've done is created uh, you know, a problem meeting that at best is unsustainable, right? At best, I'll do that two or three times before I lose energy and everyone goes their own way. 
and it and it and it worst, I keep doing it, and I just keep building resentment in the company. Telling everyone does this, so I know it's uncomfortable for folks. Buying twenty copies of the book you just read and passing them out and talk about it in three weeks is not a good idea. Yeah. Right? And you, you're shaking your head. Yeah. That's me, but everyone's also shaking their head. I know you're right. Yeah. Right. A better way, what we figured out is that rather than telling people what to read, is to let people read anything they want that makes them a better human being. And I talked about this earlier, a better parent, a better spouse, less anxiety, more healthy, anything that makes them better personally, which will lead to all the books that make them better professionally, marketing strategy, hiring, all those things, recognize and reward it. And instead of succeeding with getting someone to read a book, you get to succeed with turning people into readers. And we can all agree that readers become leaders and leaders can take our company to new places. And so our goal was not to get someone to read a book. It was to get them to become readers and better book club was our ticket. We, we started with Excel. We turned it into an internal program. And now it's an online program. It's used around the world in companies from Australia to Mexico to Canada to throughout these wow. United States. And companies are using it as a program within their culture to promote growth and the humans that they manage. Did, did you really see a, a lot of change in some of the people when they started reading more? Yeah, and, and I wish I could tell you that it affects everyone. It doesn't. There, you know, people, just like any program, no program is for everyone. Right. But for those that it makes an impact on, it not only makes an impact on them personally, but it has impact on their families. It has impact on their kids. It ha it has a generational impact to take someone who chooses not to read and then help them develop the habit of reading. It's life changing. You paid over a hundred thousand dollars, seventy five or a hundred thousand dollars to people just to read. Just to read. Just yeah. to read. So to and someone it was the most effective and efficient money we ever spent on training. Now, don't think of it in terms of a big lump sum because maybe you have a big team, a small team. Right. Maybe you're bigger than me. That's nothing. If you're smaller than me, that's a lot. Think about this concept. I pay you, Eric, as a reward, right. $100 to read uh, Great by Choice, right, by Jim Collins. Great great guy. You, great author. You, It's a great book, right? I don't expect you to start there, but if I can get you to read it, and if it, even, and if it costs me $100, Compare the knowledge that you retain, lifetime knowledge that you retain from that book as compared to if I sent you to a conference in San Diego where you heard six speakers, but you went out with your friends every night and you, and you probably forgot more than you learned. And I'm paying for this, the conference, the hotel, the airlines. I love conferences. I love speakers. But pound for pound, dollar for dollar, learning per dollar, $100 for, for great by choice is much better than $3,000 for a conference. Arnie today, looking at Arnie 15 years ago, what's the difference? Experiences, right? It's, it's all the things I did wrong that I'm still getting, you know, that I've had to, you know, try to make right. It's perspective, right? When we're surrounded by it, it's so hard to see what's going right and wrong when you're able to back up a little bit and see the bigger picture. Um, it's, it's have raised, you know, Successfully or unsuccessfully, depending on the day you ask me, two kids. Uh, it's a you know twenty plus relationship with my with my wife, twenty plus year relationship with my wife. It's it's uh, uh, friends who have started, uh, been successful at and failed at businesses to be able to see that the, that transition. Ultimately, Eric, it's pattern recognition. It's something you can't. It's very hard to be good at wow. when you're young. It's a, it's, it's, you know, wisdom and pattern recognition are the same thing. I'm still learning. I'm still figuring it out, but the more patterns I could recognize, then, then the more perspective I have. Arnie, if someone watch, uh, comes up to you right now, they approach you and they, uh, we just talked about Arnie fix my Hopefully you get that domain again. Um, and they say, Arnie fix my culture. Can you give me three things? And I'm going to give you a timer of 60 seconds. Okay. So yeah. in 60 seconds, um, I want you to give three things on what you would advise someone to do to fix their culture. And let me know when you're ready. Cause I'm going to start the clock. All right, go, go. Number one, you cannot grow your team unless you grow your people. 
programs that grow your people ultimately help your business grow. So it's two, it's, it's, it's like knocking two birds with one stone. Number two, upstream communication is as important as downstream communication. If all we do is yell down the commands and we're never listening for what's coming back, if we don't have systems in place that allow our team to have a voice in our organization, then, then not only is that bad for business, but no one's holding us accountable. Uh, and, and the, number three, the best cultures programs aren't led by leadership they're led by champions get culture in terms of the actual programs out of your hands and out of your department of hr hands and get them into the front line of your people allow them to support your programs allow them to support each other allow them to get it wrong until they get it right and allow them to be successful all right give Arnie a round of applause he did all that with five seconds left give him a round of applause <laughs> there he goes. He's knocking it out. That is awesome. So now the last thing I want to ask you, I always ask people about marketing and how they see marketing and everything else. Uh, we're still in the lightning round. Uh, so I will ask you, you hear that lightning? Hopefully it's not raining and thundering wherever you are. Um, so I want to ask you about, uh, different mediums and you just tell me what your thoughts on are each on each of these mediums. Okay. You ready? Yep. Yep. Television. You know, the most powerful medium on the planet. Uh, I know that, that it had a huge impact on uh, not only the election in, in 2020, but the fallout from election, right? We, television shapes what we think and what we do, but mm-hmm. it is on the edge of being less relevant, right? Mm. It, in fact, it's probably over the edge of being less relevant. There are so many other ways for us to spend our time, our media attention, that television, when I say television, I mean broadcast. I got to believe that it's hit its peak. Uh, it's still very powerful. That's the, that's the, it's not like it's hit its peak and it's over. It's still very powerful, but it, but we, but every advertiser has to be looking at, at how they're going to manage that medium down as opposed to, you know, 10 years ago, you're still riding that, that medium up. Radio. Radio, you know, I think, um, I'm not a fan, uh, because, because for several reasons, but I think that um, the chance to receive a radio signal has diminished as as other types of apps have taken over that space. Whether you're listening to podcasts, whether you listen to your own Spotify mix, whether you're listening to um, uh, your own, you know, uh, satellite or, or subscription radio music, I guess, is, which would be like Spotify. I think live radio, uh, you know, the audience seems to be dwindling. Uh, except in niche cases. So you got news, you got sports, uh, you've got sort of live event uh, coverage. I think those areas are still uh, viable. I think the others, there's probably some challenges. Outdoor advertising. Uh, it, it has grown in its power, uh, not as a direct response medium, but in as a, a brand awareness medium. You know, this is, this might be the year of exception where, where traffic and, you know, eyeballs have gone down, but it, you know, this is this is a medium where there's limited space typically in the city. Uh, it has huge impact. Design matters, right? You can't, you know, if you got more than three things on a billboard, it's too many. Too many. And so, and so you, you know, it, it, it having a consistency of message, of brand, uh, of impact, outdoor can be powerful, and I think it's still on the rise. Direct mail. You know, uh, actually this thing peaked and it's come back. It's like a two hump camel, if you will, like direct <laughs> mail was going nuts. Everyone was using it. Therefore the, the effectiveness was going down. Everyone got out and, and there's still, there's, there's like a, it's like old school effective now more than ever because less people do it. You know, I, I, I told a client, I said, what, what I would have done was, um, when everyone's quarantined would have been the perfect time for you to send a direct mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 you know, I the I don't know what the volumes are at the post. And I don't know. I really don't know enough to be talking about this. Like I know something, mm-hmm. but it just feels like that. There's a there's a tactile, especially when we're when we've missed a lot of other experiences, whether eating eating at restaurants or hanging out with friends or going to sport. Anything that we can touch, mm-hmm. like it actually starts to feel real again because we've been we've voided that for so long. Newspaper. I hate to be uh, the doomsday man, but I don't. I think I think newspaper is is if they haven't reclassified themselves as news, right? That happens not to be on paper. Mm. 
I, I think I think their days are limited. OTT. Well, this is an area that that uh, has it sprung board uh, in the last you know year or two in a way that that I, I can I honestly say I haven't kept up with, but some version of that is the future. I just don't know which version. I think I think that that wild west is still being. Oh wild. gosh, it's the wild west, man. Right, and so it's but it's it's a beast that that. You better be learning about it, right? You better be learning about that and, and electronic currencies and um, uh, your uh, digital security, right? These are things that we, like, there's a lot of people, they already know way more than you and I, but we better be learning about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I had a, a, a an agency friend and he said, he said, Eric, I feel bad for you guys now. I said, why? He said, I only had to focus on two or three mediums when I was doing it. He said, there's yeah. so much now that it's hard to keep up. And the last one I'll ask you about social media. Uh, powerful, uh, interesting. Like in just in the last thirty days, yeah. like it's gotten a lot more interesting. Uh, but I I hear as many success stories uh, from marketing and social media as I've ever heard about direct mail. Um, so I think there's opportunity there, and I think there are people that are taking good advantage of it. I, the key to all this is what we used to preach, and it and I think it's still true. Is that whatever two or three or four you pick, your brand consistency is the most important thing. Like it, you, I do not believe that you can be successful with vastly different things happening in different uh, 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 mediums. That we have to layer these things. Your billboard needs to hook up with your TV. Needs to match your social. Correct. Needs to match your ATT. Like those, and so many people get that wrong. And so many people go, "Oh, it's a font is a font and a color is a color." Color. No, it's not. Like. The McDonald's arches are the McDonald's arches for a reason. You can recognize them, uh, you know, well before you're near them, right? It, to be recognizable, not red. To be to 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 give people a feeling from a brand as opposed to them having to figure it out. It's all about consistency. What is your favorite social media of of all? Uh, LinkedIn, because it's the least political so far. So far, think. Let's hope it stays that way, right? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and children of all ages, I'd like to thank our guest, Mr. Arnie Malham. Let's give him a final round of applause. And I'm also going to do a bow over here for you. So I want to thank our guest, Mr. Arnie Malham. Uh, and Arnie, what's next for you? What's next? What's on the record for you? You know, I'm going to, I'm not, the Better Book Club project is one that has a chance to make a dent in the universe, has a chance to impact lives. And I, I enjoy doing that. I got two kids that graduate college in May, uh, which means I need job offers from uh, <laughs> lots of people out there that are listening to this right now. Yeah. Uh, because I've told them, you can go anywhere you want, but you can't come home. There you uh, go. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully good things will happen there. And from there, my, you know, my wife and I, you know, we're kind of in stage three now. We, you know, we'll, we need to choose what's next, figure out our, our grander purpose uh, and, and, you know, make continue to make a dent in the universe. Well, I'm sure you're going to find that. So Arnie, uh, where can people find you also get the book? Uh, don't forget the book. Where can they find you, get the book and how do they get in touch with you? Hey, uh, worth doing wrong.com. Uh, there's a, there's a link to my info, social, all that. Most importantly, there's a link that says coffee with Arnie. Uh, and while I have not added the uh, ArnieFixMyCulture.com link yet, there is a <laughs> coffee with Arnie link. And I'm happy to hang out one morning, drink up a cup of Joe and, and talk to you about how uh, what we learned about our culture that may be helpful to you. That is awesome. So I want to thank you to our production and content team, Craft Creative, for being our studio sponsor. And thank everyone for listening to the AdCast. Thank you for giving us your most valuable asset, which is your time. And if you feel this podcast has been a help to you or it could be a help to others, please subscribe, mention it, and share it. We're available everywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. This is the AdCast. Thank you, Eric. Copyright VIP Thank Marketing you, man. and Advertising. Produced by Craft Creative. For premium video production and graphic design, visit WeCraftCreative.com.